um, after talking about the relationship between the permissible and the impermissible and then mentioning an example of someone who may follow into fall even into the doubtful um, he said at the end of this narration like the thing that will help someone navigate all of those things in their lives um, is the heart he said and he said it in a way that's very powerful he said in mudra you know there is a piece of flesh in the body like if it's sound, everything else will follow and be sound. And if it's corrupted, everything else will follow, like a tail. It's the heart. Uh, That's why some of the early Muslims, I used to say that the heart is like the general and the limbs are like the soldiers. Right? The heart is like the general and the limbs are like a soldier. Um, so the state of that general, whether he or she is leaning towards evil, the soldiers will follow. And, and that's why in the Quran Allah says about someone who takes the time to um, take care of their, their soul and their heart, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ Right? Successful is the person who uh, works. تَزَكَّى The form تَفَاعُل means like, like it's a constant process. One of the dangers of um, the current situation in the world and the way we look at time is like we want everything to happen like really quickly. We want things to be event-based. Whereas um, faith is more about a process. So that means like there's time involved, there's like success involved, there's failure involved. That's a process. And this is more evident amongst the intolerant, hyper-conservative Muslim who will constantly just bash people for making mistakes and not give them the door of hope in Allah. And that's why the Prophet Sahih al-Bukhari, he mentions the narration of this guy who his roommate didn't pray from Bani Israel. And then he kept telling him like, pray man, pray. And he was like, you know, I know I should be praying, but whatever. And then finally, this person said to him, Allah will never forgive you. And the Prophet said that they'll be resurrected. And Allah will ask that righteous person, why did you tell someone I will never forgive them? Because this is a mistake in aqidah, in creed, in theology. And the other person, he will say, why didn't you pray? And he will say, like, I, was, I know I should have prayed. Yeah, if you'll admit it. I made mistakes. I tried my best. And Allah will forgive him. So a lot of times that attitude is rooted in someone as our, if you're from Philadelphia, your favorite basketball player, respect the process. <laughs> right? Joel Embiid, you got to respect the process of emergent religious literacy and that it's not a constant. And that's why Al-Bukhari in Sahih Bukhari has a chapter, Al-Iman Yazid wa Yanqus. Faith increases and decreases. 
One of my teachers used to say, if your faith is always like high, you'll never need Allah. Like you'll, you'll forget that you need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Imam Ibn Ta'ala Iskandari said, sometimes a person sins out of a mercy to make them more humbler and more reliant on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the larger picture, in the larger picture of things, in the process of religious growth. So when we say, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ تَزَكَّى means like, it's a process, I've got to work at it. So that involves like learning basic principles, trying to live those basic principles, right? Success and failure, a lot comes into that. And also we have to be careful, there's some people who may say like, well, my heart's like super clean, so I don't need to pray. That's the other extreme. Whereas, like, they both go hand in hand. No one can have a more pure heart than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So anybody who would turn away from something that the Prophet did in the name of spiritual gnosis, for example, is delusional. That's why Allah says about him, In the Prophet you have this uswa hasana is more than qudwa. Qudwa means someone you can follow because you see their actions. Uswa is someone that you follow them externally and internally. So you follow their their actions and you follow their heart. And that's why Allah, when He talks about Sayyidina Muhammad, alayhi salatu wasalam, He said, Like, by the stars that set, your companion, Muhammad, alayhi salatu wasalam, means that he's not astray, he loses in, trans in translation. Reading English is like watching TV without HD. Like it's good, but you're gonna miss like little things, and it's okay. It's not easy. So dalla means in his physical actions, he's not astray. Nor internally is he uh, is he lost. So that's why he's like a star that has the gas in, and that gas comes out as this bright light. So the Prophet says something internally and externally, in the darkness of this dunya, is like a star. That people can use to guide them, but internally and externally. So there's this complete process. Internal responsibility and purification met with physical practice and engagement. And that's why Allah says in Surah Tawbah, Inna Allah yuhibu tawabin wa yuhibu mutatahirin. Allah loves those who repent and lo those who are physically pure. He brings both together because repentance is like internal wudu. It's the internal tahara, as we'll talk about in the future. And then, of course, being physically pure is being physically pure. And that's why the Prophet said, uh, iman. Physical purity is half of faith. What's the other half of faith? Taharat al-qalb. Is to be internally pure. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, according to some scholars, وَثِيَابَكَ uh, فَطَّهِرُ one of the first chapters sent to Sayyidina Muhammad uh, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam That Allah said, Oh you who are covered up, right? Stand and warn and, and glorify your Lord. The word actually for thawb doesn't mean clothes in Old Arabic. It means your heart. Right? Constantly take care of your soul. So da'wah, calling to Allah, is an action with a pure heart. So both. 
And I mentioned to you before, in Surah Tuma'idah, uh, the, the, the model activist is the one who is not only physically active and engaged, uh, standing up today, we saw what happened in the Supreme Court, it's really concerning, right? but at the same time, they're anchored in, in, in a spiritual revolt against injustice. Allah said, how many prophets fought with them? Saintly people. Ribbiyun is hard to translate. It means people whose hearts were in the right place. So they're active, like they're engaged physically, but they're anchored spiritually in foundations. And that's why in the fifth chapter of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Prophet Musa, Go into the Holy Land. But there's like, his followers said like, there's really strong people in that city. Like, we're good. You go, we'll watch you. The verse that they said to him, like, you go, we're going to sit here and watch you fight. So like a whole nation of people are not willing to help him even after God commanded him. And then Allah says, قَالَ رَجُلَانِ مِنَ الَّذِينَ يَخَافُونَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ أُدْخُلُوا Two people who feared Allah, so they not only have like the activism component, but their heart is filled with the reverence of God. They said, go in. So one of my teachers used to say, look how two people who have the spirit of activism coupled with foundationalism religiously are stronger than a whole nation of people who are scared to go with Sayyidina Musa. So Islam focuses on the idea of balancing, right? The internal with the external, the spiritual with the physical, the material with the immaterial, having that balance spiritually. So the book that we're reading and focusing on now is going to talk about some of the diseases of the heart. And how do we recognize those diseases? And how do we work on ourselves and improve ourselves? From the book of Imam al-Ghazali, as explained uh, and, and abridged by um, Imam Ibn al-Jawzi. So this is the third of four parts of the book. And this is called Bab al-Muhlikat. Or Mubiqat. Mubiqat are those things that can destroy you. They bring you, they bring you pain. Mubiqat. So the idea is like if someone develops these habits, right, it's going to lead to a punishment. <coughs> and that's why the Prophet said, The Prophet in sound hadith said, be careful of the mubiqat, these destructive things. For example, murder he mentioned and other things. So Al-Ghazali, radiallahu uh, anhu, and Ibn al-Jawzi follows him, the, the, the person who is abridged Al-Ghazali's book, called this Rub' al-mubiqat one of the forces of the book which is dedicated to the destructive habits that can have an impact on on our heart and our and our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, I talked to you a little bit last time about some of the ways that we believe um, Satan can influence us and and come after our heart like one scholar said you know how many people just like leave the doors of their houses open and the windows open. And he said, so it's like, it's natural, like, definitely you're going to try to protect your house. Then, like, what about the doors that come to your heart? The it, what are called madakhil al-qulub. Those things which 
can be used to, to sway our hearts and to sway um, our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Shaykh, he mentioned some of the major ones that I didn't mention, but I thought it's worth just revisiting. Some of the major ways in which Satan tries to sway our hearts. So he said, فَمِنْ أَبْوَابِهِ الْعَظِيمَةِ الْحَسَدِ وَالْحِرْسِ He said, from some like the most important ways that Satan, and you could translate these as like triggers. Right? What are like the triggers of shaitan? So he said, from some of the most important triggers is jealousy. We'll talk about it in more detail in the future. We know like jealousy caused the first murder in history. And jealous is so dangerous, we say, وَمِنْ شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدٍ The way it's phrased in Arabic, وَمِنْ شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ doesn't only mean the person that's jealous, it could mean also, if I'm jealous. So like that's how dangerous it is. I'm not only asking protection from someone being jealous of me, but also I'm asking that I also am not someone who's jealous. That's how dangerous it is. So that's why it says, وَمِنْ شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ at the moment that they have this jealousy. We'll talk about what jealousy is, but basically it means, I wish Allah didn't give you that, and He gave it to me. So that's why we say jealousy in its pure form is a problem in theology. Like, why did Allah give him that and not me? And that's why Allah says to the people in Mecca, Ahum rahmat rabbik, when they say, like, Why is Muhammad a prophet? Allah said, Do you, are you responsible? for dispensing the mercy of Allah. Like, that's not your job, man. The other is to covet things. To be like, the best word for it is like a narcissist. Just to constantly think about myself. So I'm always worried about myself. I'm not able to think about others. So, like, if I had a gun, I would have gone in. Right? It's all about me. It's all about me. Right? I'm not able. I'm not able to like think about how other people feel. Right? And the way to overcome that is to like invest in people, man. Have conversations with people. We'll talk about it, inshallah. The others is anger. We talked about it last week. Like, not normal anger, we're talking about anger that, like, blinds a person. I think every week you have a divorce case, like, because somebody got mad at somebody. Or people separated because they got mad at somebody. Or, like, family issues. The next is desires of shahwa. And then it gets interesting, he says, Women abwabihi hubbu tazyeen. The only way I can really translate this is like to love to be fly. Seriously. It's like to always have that shine, man. To always just be like, yeah, I'm just killing it, man. Right? Huh? Tazyin. From beauty. Tazyin, beautifying things. Is that vanity? Yeah, it could be vanity. 
opulence. And it doesn't mean like, of course, we know people came to the Prophet and they said like, we like to wear nice clothes, we like to wear nice shoes. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about like, in the future, he's a chapter on it, like, just being irresponsible, man. Like having things that I don't really need, that bring no benefit to me, but I'm, I'm now finding, I'm finding my, my value and what I have and not who I am. And then also it causes me to like look down on people. Right? The next is to covet what others have. It's, it's related to jealousy. Al tamah. <coughs> to be thirsty, man. Like if we want to translate it, it's like being thirsty. Because tamah means to like thirsty for everything. And I believe like we should translate these things sometimes in the language that we use because it brings it home. You know, people that want to translate it in the Chasirian dialect, God bless you. I'm happy for you, man. I don't have a problem with that. But sometimes the emotional component is found in slang, to be honest with you. And like contemporary, we're not, I'm not presenting a PhD thesis right now. Right? We're trying to like hit, hit that ball apart. So, Tama means to covet what people have. But at a higher level, it's just like, it leads to, uh, like, again, issues of envy, questioning God, and so on and so forth. The next he said is to constantly be in a, constantly be in a state, like, rushing. Al-Ajla. Like, wanting things to happen faster than they really are. And that, that happens even in religious development. Right? People, like, want. And that's, that's the, the difference between, like, a selfish relationship with faith like a real relationship with faith. It's okay to like want to improve, but like not to the point where I start to question the process. Yes? Can you make a, um, a strong distinction between Harris and Falmouth? Uh, yeah, Harris means like me personally. Like I'm all about me. I'm guarding me. Like I'm worried about, I'm guarding myself. I'm a hottest of my own self. Sometimes I'll give you an example. My wife and I, I'll make fun of myself. So my wife had the flu. That flu is no joke, man. So she was like, I'm sick. I was like, my stomach hurts. She's like, but I'm sick. You know what I mean? Like, you got to get out of thinking about yourself. I'm constantly, like, looking after myself. That's like a smaller degree. Al-Ajla. Right? Like rushing to the point that I'm not strategic anymore. Rushing to the point that I don't think things through. And he doesn't mean like every once in a while. Like, no. It means, especially in relationships with faith, family, friendship, right? These core foundational relationships in our life. I'm not, I'm not <coughs> giving it the right kind of time. And that's why the Prophet said, shaitan, right? To rush is from shaitan. To find that balance between being passionate and respecting the process. He's going to go into details about all these later on, inshallah. Oh, wow. He said, you know, from the tricks of shaitan is 
to be fanatical about your sheikh, about your medheb, about your group, about whatever. To the point like where you divide yourself from other people. In the name of like, yeah, I follow this sheikh, man, so I'm not gonna learn from Khal Latif. Well then you're gonna be dumb. Like there's something that you didn't learn. Like Imam Malik said, you know, you should always encourage people to study with other people. Then they'll appreciate what you didn't know. It's like a very profound statement. And a great teacher is not about causing you to be lost in awe of the teacher. A great teacher is about getting you found in the love of Allah. And that's very different than a group or a personality or whatever. So the sheikh is saying that's a way that shaitan plays with people. It doesn't mean that we don't love and respect our teachers or our sheikh or whoever. Like if someone has a sheikh in tasawwuf, mashallah, no problem. But not to the point where I'm going to split the community, divide the community, fight with people, not pray behind people, not mix with people. It's not the way of the Prophet When Asma refused to see her mom, Abu Bakr's wife, who wasn't Muslim. Like, see, we think of Abu Bakr, we're like, man, everything must have worked out for Abu Bakr. No, his wife didn't become Muslim until later on. Like, he went through it. His father became Muslim way later on. But he balances all those things. So that's why he's Siddiq. In the face of all kind of challenges, he stays truthful. He respects the process. When Asma was like, I can't see my mom. She came to Medina. She's like from the pagans of Mecca. I can't roll with her. And then Aisha goes to the Prophet because there's a sense of communal literacy and says like, Ya Rasulullah, like she refused to see her mom. See, like there's communal literacy now. She recognized that this is something wrong. And then the Prophet said, tell her, tell her come here. She came, she's like, you know, see, visit, let your mom see. Like, hang out with your mom, man. Right? If, if that's the case of the Prophet with a pagan from Mecca who they're trying to kill him, what about us with other Muslims who we just may not see the eye to eye with on certain things? One of our teachers used to say, if Allah said to the people of Mecca, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ To you be your religion and me to be my religion. What do I say to a Muslim? لَكُمْ مَذْهَبَكُمْ you, you follow who you follow, mashallah, man. I follow who I follow, okay. But creating value in those things to the point where I justify having bad thoughts of people and splitting up people, that's a problem. Once I remember um, in a masjid that I used to visit regularly in California, there was a brother that came to me in uh, Ramadan. He was like, man, I was like, make the biggest mistake. I was like, what? He's like, I never came to this mosque, even though I live next door to the mosque. I was like, man, you didn't even pray. He's like, I didn't even come there to pray. I prayed at my house. And I thought praying in my house was more rewarding than praying in the mosque. I was like, why? He's like, because the people that I followed were telling me, like, this mosque is, like, full of Wahhabi people, Hanafis, and I don't know, all this other kind of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, so, like, who cares, man? Like, I don't, I don't care about that. When I go to the mosque, al-masajid lillah. The mosque belongs to Allah. Unless it's like treating people badly. He's like, yeah, then I came here and people were like really nice. First thing I got was some kir and ru afsa. Like, the first thing I walked in, someone gave me like rice pudding and like this awesome sugary drink from Pakistan. I was like, after that, you were sold. He's like, I was like, that's all it took, man. <laughs> 
Maybe we should just like pass out Ru'afsa and Kir all the time. But a ta'asuf al-madhab with al-ashqas. Like blindly following people. Like right now, the state of the situation of the Muslim world, Muslim community in general, we really have to put our differences to the side and think about the broader good for ourselves and other people. He said, and from, from the triggers of shaitan for teachers is to teach people uh, things which are divisive and will split the community. Like to start them out on that. So I remember once I met this convert, he's like, man, even Timmy is astray. <laughs> I was like, man, who the heck are you? Like, even Timmy, rahimahullah, is not someone you meet like on the R. You like, you decide you don't like him anymore. Like, how do you know that? You never, you never met him. Like, how can you say that about someone who died before you? Like, maybe he did some things you you don't your teacher doesn't agree with. But like, say he's a straight, right? To to say those kind of things to people. You know, that that's he said how shaitan splits people and harms people. Doesn't mean that we can't be academically critical or respectfully critical. Of course we can, but here in a way that creates like a, an enemy and divisiveness. And the last one is very powerful. He said, from one of the greatest triggers of Satan is to have su'udhan bil muslimin. Is to assume that Muslims are horrible. To assume like Muslims in general are just like rotten to the core. Like there's no good left. And in general also people, right? Uh, even Arabi, the great <coughs> Sufi in Futuhat Makiyah, it's this book he wrote, there's Interesting stuff in there. He, uh, he went to Mecca. And it's a funny story. He said, I was making tawaf, you know, around the Kaaba. And I saw the most disagreeable, successfully ignorant human being I've ever seen in my life. Like, wow. That's a tough way to describe someone, man. <laughs> and so his disciples asked him, like, why? He said... This person had a group of people following him. And as they were making tawaf, he was telling them, the Muslims are all ruined. There's no good people left. Like, khalas, it's over. So he said, I, I, I took the time to sit down with this guy. And I said to him, like, man, how can you say this? And he said, listen, the only way people do good now is by accident. So Ibn Arabi, like, it's a long response, but basically corrects the guy. But he said, like, to think that there's no good left, and that there's no khair in the world, and that there's no good amongst people, is one of the greatest triggers of shaitan. Because it makes us give up, man. Whereas the Prophet said, you know, if you put the sun in my left hand, in my right hand, and the moon in my left hand, like, I'm not going to change. I'm committed. It ain't about people. I've got other things to do. Alayhi salatu Then the Shaykh, after a rather long discussion about some stuff that would be hard to teach in this setting, he moves on to how can you know about your own spiritual shortcomings. So he talks about how, like the triggers of Satan...
now he's going to talk about, hey, here's like some practical things you can do to like kind of identify where you need to work. So the first one is to be honest with yourself. Like no one can tell you about you better than you can. Of course, we do have the propensity for delusion. The other day I was playing basketball, right? And I used to be able to dunk basketball about 45 years ago. Um, so, exactly the day I was born. So, I was playing with these brothers and I was like, you know what? I can still do this. I'm not being honest with myself. Like when you go to the gym, have you ever caught yourself looking in the mirror, and then you really look in the mirror? Like, the filter of the nuffs is worse than any Instagram filter, man. <laughs> no. The soul has like a filter, wow, it'll make you look good, man. But if you like really take the time, then you'd be like, oh, that's the lighting. I don't really have like a... My father, God bless him, is 76 years old. I swear to God I can say this because he doesn't mind. He told me, I'm getting definition in my shoulders, man. <laughs> I'm going to the gym, I'm getting definition in my shoulders. <laughs> I said, man, that's the lighting, man. It's not, <laughs> go look again, right? You're 76, no disrespect, God bless you, mashallah alaik. Nah, bro. He's like overhead pressing like five pounds, man. <laughs> Which is great, but I'm just saying like, we have the propensity for delusion, so I got the ball, needless to say, no. Nah. I'll just stick to Dunkin' Donuts and leave Dunkin' Balls to young people. But the point is, there's like a moment where I thought I could do it. Like literally, I had convinced myself that I'm going to rehash the days of yore and fly from the ground. Ain't gonna happen, bro. But we have the propensity for delusion. So the first person that I should like ask to help me identify my mistakes is me. I should be honest in that conversation. Now, if it gets to the point where I'm just like I'm just, like crying and starting to listen to like Sam Smith with the lights off, <laughs> may, maybe you're being too honest with yourself. You know, Imam Al Maqdisi said like take two or three bad qualities and stop there. Like, it shouldn't lead you to like a night of binge watching The Notebook with like, you know, a cinnamon candle burning and the lights off. That's not supposed to be the outcome of this. The outcome of this is what, like, you know what? I got some things I need to work on. And I'm going to ask Allah to help me. So there's two extremes here, right? There's like... I'm good. I can dunk a ball. I'm 45. I just ate an honest chop. Watch this. Oh, I threw out my hip. Or, oh my God, I have so many problems. Life's over. <coughs> Both of those are a problem. But it should be like in the, back, in the middle. Prophet said the best affairs are like be balanced. So like choose a few things. So Al-Maqdis, he said, you know, he used to write down a few things I needed to work on and then I work on those for a while. So maybe I lie a lot. Let me work on lying. It's natural for the pendulum to swing. So maybe I need to work on that. How do I achieve balance? Right? Because it's hard. You know? 
again, delusion. I have another funny delusion story if you guys want to hear it. Yeah. So my wife, mashallah, who I love, is my best friend in the world. I would do a drive-by shooting with her, inshallah. That's how deep our love is. <laughs> no, but that's how it's got to be. It's got to be Doughboy. If you see Boys in the Hood, that's us. Saturday night, Crenshaw, L.A. But she took me. When you get married, you start to understand there's places that we never knew about. And there's things that, like concealer. Like, I never knew that you could hide a zit like that. And I wish I knew that when I was like 12. You know what I mean? It's amazing. It's incredible. And I get in trouble. She tells me don't talk about this stuff because I'm letting out the Shaolin secrets. Right? Like Bruce Lee. But I love my, I love my wife so much, I talk about it when she's not around, mashallah. So, we went to the store, brothers. We don't have shoe stores like they do. They have like Smithsonian's, man. Like there's all kind of shoes. It's not fair. Life is not fair. I'm looking for the original Jordans for like twenty dollars. Ain't gonna happen. Anyways, so I went to the shoe store and they started playing this song by BBD, who none of you know, except maybe you. And I was like, watch this, baby. I'm gonna do this '90s dance. So in my mind, I thought I could still do this dance, and I threw out my hip. She had to carry me to the car. That's delusion. And she was like, why did you think you could do that? I was like, I was trying to impress you. Like, I was trying to show you I got skills. She's like, I know you got skills, but not really. So delusion. That's funny, I'm being humorous, but there's a, a higher level where it can be delusion that leads us to depression, sadness, and giving up. And sometimes a community which isn't empathetic and caring actually triggers that more, right? Or it's a sense of delusion where I think I can do things that I'm just not ready to do. But also, like, stick to the ahkam, stick to the sunnah. Like, stick to balance, right? right? One of the ways we can do that is, he's asking, how, do you, can, how can you tell the difference between delusion and, like, reality? My, my area of influence and my area of concern. Like, I'm actually worried about Pluto. Like, seriously. But I'm not going to be able to do anything to help Pluto, right? But I can do things to help my kids. I can do things to help my neighborhood. I can do things to help people in my block. I can do things to help people in my community. So by priority, prioritizing the actual real sphere, sphere of influence and limiting my sphere of concern. Because I get consumed with things I can't do. And one of the goals of, shape, uh, of Satan is delusion. You like waste their times, waste time and things that aren't gonna happen. Like when people say, "I just want to make the Muslim community like it used to be," so like 80% illiteracy, uh, no computers, no electricity, no running water, um, a totalitarian government. Like awesome. Before, after the time of the Prophet, like oh okay, like that's delusion, man. Like the most delusional one, man. We just need to break it back like Andalus. If Andalus was so awesome, where is it now? Like deal with reality. Muslims in Andalus were like Ertugol and his brother on steroids. Like they killed each other. They paid Christian mercenaries to kill each other. Right? But we like to go and live in a fairy tale world. We do with personalities. People come to me like, you know, man, like I just know you're so amazing. No, I'm not. Don't do that to me. Right? Because I'm going to let you down. And you're going to blame the religion and blame God. And 
that's not how it should go down. But I should have a relationship with things that are, are there. It's not easy, and people need to remind us of that sometimes. I can't believe I let all those secrets out. <laughs> See, I'm going to let you down. <laughs> that dance was on point, though. Which DVD song? Uh, no, I can't say that here. <laughs> I can't say which song it was because that would be even more of a problem. I mean, you could let people down, but like, you know. Not to a certain degree. It was like Steve Urkel met the big show. <laughs> With Carlton, like. Um, can I ask one question? Sure. So you're saying, like, you, like I'm just using your example. You're like, I, I, can we stop using my example? <laughs> <laughs> I won't use your example. Thank you. Right. So you're saying, like, if someone thinks something, right, and they say that they can do it, does, where does that fall in between confidence and delusion? Uh, confidence means that then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in the resources to do it. Right? I'm going to start putting work in to make that happen. Like, oh, wow, I want to get a six-pack abs. Okay, awesome, man. Yo, hand me the, uh, the churros caliente, man. Like, you know, hand me that big cake. I'm trying to get some abs. That's a delusion. You understand what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. if I'm serious in what I'm saying, actions are by your intention. So if my intention's there, I'm going to follow that up with the things that help me reach that goal. Right, I want to pray Fajr. Awesome. Yo, let's bend watch House of Cars to four. Got you. Like, I'm not going to pray Fletcher. Right? But if I like set my alarm in three different ways with the BBD song, some Guns N' Roses and whatever to try to make me get out of bed, now I'm being serious. I put my phone like mega far away from me so I have to get up and turn it off. Now, now I've laid out a pattern that shows I'm sincere. Right? And I'm able, I'm trying to acquire the resources needed to do it. That's why the hadith, now you understand this hadith, actions are by intentions. Like, my, my intentions, the action is like a stairway that comes from that intention and helps me reach what I've said I intended. So the first, he said, after being honest with ourselves, right, and, and not getting um, into either of the extremes of delusion, throwing out our hips because we're overly confident and we're not taking into accountability our resources that we have available. Right, one of our teachers from Moyotani, we asked him about this. How do you like then how do you lay out a strategy? He was like, by being honest about your personal resources, what are you good at, and then the resources you have available to you. Like that's how you you know. I can't come to NYU and be like, yeah, I want to do a degree in Islamic studies. We don't have an Islamic studies program. Yeah, but I want to do a degree in Islamic studies. That's delusional. Oh, Princeton does? Okay, let me let me go down south. I'm not making that kind of money. Hmm. Let me see what I can do to go to Princeton. So now I'm thinking and trying to acquire the resources to accomplish what I'm thinking about. And then, am I good at Islam? Am I passionate about Islamic studies? If I don't have that passion, why would I do it? So the internal is called bi'a al-dakhiliya wa bi'a al-kharijiya. Internal and external reality of who I am. That's not easy, man. That conversation is tough. The second thing he said is to have a teacher. An yajlis bayni yaday shaykh. To sit with someone, a teacher, a sheikh, who's good at recognizing the disease of the heart. I think Khaled is good here. You know, I think uh, Sister Aisha Adawiyah is like really good 
at like picking out things in people's hearts, man. She's good, mashallah. Doesn't mean she's like going into your heart, but she knows you or he knows you, and they, they, they've been around long enough to recognize certain patterns. So they can tell you, like, you know, as I know you, these are some things I think you might want to work on. Right? The third, an yatlub sadiqan suduqan basiran, is to have an honest friend, man. Who you can, like, say, hey, like, can you help me think about things I need to work on in my life? And like, if you're that friend, don't bust out with like a litany of like Buster Rhymes type <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> no, no, just like two or three things. Like, be wise, because you don't want to destroy the person. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> no, no, you could say like, you know, sometimes I see like you backed by people. I think you should work on that. Like, that's a really good friend. So he said, Friendship. What's interesting in, in most of the, the ways that we recognize our shortcomings is by being social. And usually you tend to think about spirit, spirituality as like being alone, isolated, away from people. Right? He's saying, first, yeah, have that conversation with yourself. Most of us can't. I know I can't, a.k.a. I'm the hipster in the shoe store, right? Number two is having a teacher. Right? And it's hard now to find teachers that have the time. Also, we don't have the time. Sit down with someone, they get to know you, you get to know them, you know, in a way where they're able to give you qualified advice. Um, but third is really important, is having friends. Family members, close associates, people that know us well and can advise us. And the next is really interesting. He said, well, is if you can't do the others, then listen to what your enemies say about you. Like, listen to, to what people say about you that don't really like you. And don't swallow everything they say, right? Because obviously they don't like you. But like, what you hear them say that you know is true about yourself, you work on that. So he's like, so you, you take benefit from even people that may not like you. If you know, you recognize some of the things that they're saying are in fact really problems in your life. And the last, and you it nas is that you mix with people. We talked about this last week. <coughs> yeah. Would you maybe qualify that last one? I mean, for someone who's not particularly social, who might not have like a a social support system, like engaging online or in society, which is very much can engage in bullying, can engage in issues related to body image, can engage in insults and threats. Like I can see that. Yeah, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your spiritual inadequacies. So if someone says, for example, like you know what, like you're so arrogant, man. Uh, you might not be arrogant, but like you could say, you know what, let me work on my humility. Now, he's not talking about those kind of things, like body, body image. Nobody should be attacking anybody about their body or their image, their color. Their he's gonna, we'll talk about that in backbiting, actually. Right? What he's talking about here are like religious things. Like my, my maybe someone says, like, you know what, man, I never see him in a masjid. Maybe they're right. So I got to tell myself, you know what, like, I got to pray, like, I got to try to hit the masjid more, more, more than I'm doing it. 
Maybe someone's like, you know, he's like super impatient. Like, I'll give you an example. One time I was in community and this kid was like, you're just not approachable. He's like, I'm not approachable? Right? And I was like, you know what? Let me work on it. I don't want to hear that, but let me work on it. You know what I mean? So you might hear something. You might not even necessarily believe it, but you can benefit by improving on it anyways. You understand what he's trying yeah. to say here? He's not saying like, oh, you're short, you're tall, you got big feet, whatever. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying these kind of things that even if you were to add it to your existing repertoire of good qualities, mm. it's still going to make you a better person. So just benefit from it. I guess I get, I would still get worried in the current context because often the people who critique are the self-righteous. Well, you need to make sure they know. And also you need to make sure who's critiquing you at least knows you, right? They may not like you, but they know you. Um, I did an interview one time with uh, the Boston Globe and the reporter, she's a real cool lady, man, Lisa. She's really nice. And she said to me, like, the most, like, harsh criticisms that we receive are every night after 3 a.m. Right? Because those people got, people up at 3 a.m., what are they doing, man? Right? So, like, those aren't, that's not where you're going to take your, you don't allow those people to have that kind of control into your life. Right? But, like, people who know me, and if I can find, you know what? Yeah, let me be more approachable. Like, let me be more humble. Like, that's not a bad thing. What if it's to that person's benefit? And they're like, nothing, nothing, me, me, me. No, you got to be careful with that. Because then they're going to try to control you and manipulate you. Right? So also we don't allow people to put us into a situation where, you know, I wouldn't tell someone, by the way, that, yeah, you know, like, I really benefited from you telling me that even though you hate me. Because they're, like, they're like, this is against me, right? But I see what you're saying. You've got to keep it balanced, right? And not to a degree where it goes to the either extreme. And then the sheikh, he dedicates some time to describing how do you recognize good character. And he said the easiest way is to read in the Qur'an how God describes the believers. So he mentions like numerous verses, numerous hadith, like the Prophet, whoever believes in Allah in the last day should be good to their neighbor, you know, should speak well, <coughs> remain silent, da 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 those kind of things. He's like, if you look at these verses, Allah says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Successful are, are the believers, so to mu'minun, like what are the qualities of those people? Like, then you should look at your life and say, like, where are those qualities in my life? How am I implementing these things? And most of these things don't need a weekend course or even a sheikh. Right? Like, you know, not to speak ill of people. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like not something you, like, go to, like, Home Depot. Yo, man, can I get that how not to speak ill of people tool? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, that's a personal responsibility. People can remind me. People can encourage me. People may be able to share best practices with me. But most of these things, like, in the mal-mu'minun ikhwa, like, the believers are a family. So how do I treat other people? Right? Um, Allah says, وَخْفُ جَنَاحَكَ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Like, be empathetic and kind to the believer. Like, am I empathetic and kind to you? Those are not things that are overly complicated. Imam al-Razi said there's like four or five verses of Qur'an. Number one, only Allah knows the meaning. Number two, the prophet has to explain it. Number three, we go to scholars for it. And the fourth is most people can understand it on their own. And he said, that's the majority of the verses. Like, I'm not going to go to someone like, what does it mean Allah is one? Allah is one. 
What does it mean pray? Pray? Right? Those are verses that are very clear. So he said, like, a simple way is to, like, and we'll put these on the outline that we're going to post on the Facebook wall. So soon on the Facebook wall, we'll start posting notes uh, from each class for you so you can have them. We'll mention some of these verses. And that takes us to the first, um, the first tool um, that we need to be aware of in this process. And it's what Al-Ghazali <coughs> called Afat al-Lisan, speech. The destructive qualities of speech. Maybe it's something like, why do you start with that? Like, start with something more like, you know, cool, like, awesome. So tools to be aware of in the process of purifying your heart? Yeah, because even though Josie says something really, really remarkable, and I wrote it here, but I don't have my glasses. Well, I have some glasses that I'm embarrassed to wear in front of you because they look really weird. So I'm not going to do it. He said, I'm just joking. Not really. No, no, I can see, inshallah. So Ibn Josie said, like, why, why would we start with the tongue out of all the limbs? Because the limbs are the soldiers. So the soldiers are evidence of the state of the heart. But he said, speech is unique to every other limb. The tongue is unique to the hand, to the foot, to the ear, to the nose, to the eyes. And he says, because no other organ can express the infinite number of psychological states that a person is experiencing like the tongue. And he says something here, I wanted you guys to write it down, but I forgot to write it down. Yeah, he said, وَلِسَانُ لَيْسَ لِمَجَالِهِ مُنْتَهَى What that means is like, the possibilities and the places that your speech can be uh, indicative of where you are in life, is infinite. It's limitless. So he says something awesome. He said, and, and if you think about the extremes of speech, like, kufra It's like speech can lead someone to faith or lead someone to disbelief. Someone could say, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. And someone could say the opposite. Someone could say they love someone. The same, I hate you. So he's saying, as a, as a indicator of the state of the heart, the tongue's like mad important. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, is there anything that will cause people to go to hell except what their tongues have harvested? And he used harvest because it's though that the heart is the soil. And what came out, that fruit, is the speech. It's like the rhetoric of the Prophet ﷺ. Right. What blossomed from their speech, meaning it started in the heart and grew and grew and grew and it became a means of expression. And that's why the Prophet said, whoever can guarantee me what's between their jaws, I can guarantee them paradise. 
And the Prophet ﷺ said, and there's really one really profound hadith that we'll mention because of time. He said, لا يستقيم إيمان عبد حتى يستقيم قلبه. The Prophet said that a person's faith will not be upright until his or her heart is upright. وَلَا يَسْتَقِيمُ قَلْبُهُ حَتَّى يَسْتَقِيمُ لِسَانُهُ And a person's heart is not going to be upright until their speech is upright. Can you repeat that? Yeah, yeah. Alayhi said, لَا يَسْتَقِيمُ إِمَانُ عَبْدٍ حَتَّى يَسْتَقِيمَ قَلْبُهُ That the faith of a person won't be complete and whole and upright in a, right, in a, in a good way until his or her heart is complete or whole. وَلَا يَسْتَقِيمُ قَلْبُهُ حَتَّى يَسْتَقِيمَ لِسَانُهُ And he said, and the person's heart won't be upright until their speech is upright. So he's correlating all this together. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there's like numerous ahadith. For example, إِنَّ أَكْثَرَ خَطَايَ بْنِ آدَمَ لِسَانُهُ I've said the thing that causes most people to mess up is their speech. And speech here, Ibn al-Jawzi and al-Ghazali don't mention this, but the person that came after Ibn al-Jawzi and also worked on this book, <coughs> Imam al-Maqdis, he said, this doesn't just mean what you say, it means what you write. If you were alive now, your emojis, <laughs> gifs, uh, any form of communication falls under this kind of concern. Yes, ma'am? Sometimes we can sin based on what we write. Yeah. Like, if it's in our journal. No, that's different. Like, so journal writing, if it's like therapeutic and for someone's own good, that's different. But if I'm going to write a Facebook wall and just like trash you, that's a problem. Now, I could be critical of someone. Again, <laughs> balance, right? Someone may need to be criticized. Um, we, we should never take quietism as an excuse in the face of real problems, you know? Isn't there also, like, permissible backbiting? Like, if there is a lesson to be learned in someone's particular actions and they're not named, then you can share that. Yeah, we'll get to that next week. Like, when can you? When can you? It wouldn't be considered backbiting, but, like, for example, uh, business transactions. Someone comes to you like, yo, um... Like, I'm so awesome, let's do business together. And you go to someone else and you're like, what can you tell me about this person? They're like, oh, I can't backbite, I can't say anything. Oh, mashallah, they're freaking awesome, they're so good. And then you work with them and you lose everything. In that situation, it's an obligation for that person to tell you, like, this is not a trustworthy person. That's why in the science of hadith, in the science of hadith, right, it's allowed to say someone's a liar. You gotta make clear, like, this person's not someone you can trust. So there are moments, and we'll talk about marriage. People ask people about people's character. Um, not necessarily their background as far as their previous sins, unless they like robbed a bank or some stuff like that, man. But like, those are things that in general should be, unless it's like going to impact the relationship and impact the marriage. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about it next week. Yes? We'll get to it. It's all coming, inshallah. No, these are good questions. That's good that you're thinking in the, the logic of where he's headed. I mean, if you guys raise your hand and were like, so is a Tesla better than the Geo? 
I'd be worried. Right? But when you're asking questions that are in line with where we're headed, uh, that means I probably should dunk the basketball. So we'll talk about a few of them and then we'll stop. The first one is Al-Kalam fi Malayani, is to talk about things I have no business, you have no business talking about. The best person in Islam is the one who doesn't get into things that don't concern them. What do we mean by it doesn't concern us? There's no benefit for me, there's no benefit from my sphere of influence. And a benefit in a good way, like not in a bad way. But just to be off in people's business for no reason. And for there to be no real, strategic, honest sense of integrity in that. Yes? If someone starts engaging with you in that, what's like the socially best way of just being like, like just getting yourself out of it? I don't know, man. I don't know how to like successfully get out of those conversations. Sometimes I'll just be like, like let's say they come to me and they're like, you know, such and such and such is like the worst Dajjal in the face of the world and they're so evil, I'll be like, La ilaha illallah. Let's do it, man. Throw them off. Like, like, <laughs> I've done that. Like, it works. I would just simply say, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You have every right and have your boundaries. You know? You're just saying, no, I, don't I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, I don't feel Because once you say comfortable, then. La ilaha illallah. That's what I mean. That's what I, I do. Don't want to make sense. Maybe I should make them feel bad. Works too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not making me feel bad. But then they start talking about me <laughs> or you could change the topic. Just talk about something yeah. you know that's interesting. Yeah, and that's right. How about them cowboys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. But you, you can, you can like, or you could just tell them, you know, you should fear Allah. <laughs> no, but sometimes you may have to. Like, if they're really, really saying things that are egregious, it's probably the best thing you can tell them is like, you know, I just don't think this is the best thing for you and your relationship with Allah and the hereafter to be like. Why are, we all, why, why are we here right now? You know, like, what, what can we do to impact the situation? Nothing. So we're just, like, talking about it for no reason. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I think you asked what would be the most socially acceptable way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my professor, who was a linguistics anthropologist, she said that um, uh, backbiting gossip is not always used to, like, hurt other people, but it's the, it is a a very strong bonding tool used in all societies in the world. And that the best way to um, deal with it is to, if someone's talking trash about, you know, um, uh, you. Um, Dance then, moves in a shoe store. <laughs> right? Right. Excuse me, dancing to poison. Um, it wasn't poison. <laughs> it wasn't poison. It was the other song. So follow Yeah. That one. Okay. In any case, it's tough you could just, just say, you know what? I know you're probably telling me this about like Sue because you think he's a really good dancer, and you're like, no, and you want him to like, you know, take it to the next level and be a star. I, I was like, you flip it. Yeah, no, oh, so you okay. put the good or you put the like a good thing nice. on it, and then you say, you know, who would be a better person to speak to about this than me? Because I can't dance at all, so I have no reference point for it. Is his mother because she's probably the one that taught him how to dance. <laughs> That's how you cut off that conversation because you put the good interpretation of what they're doing, you then excuse yourself from it, but not from a self righteous point of view because it'll either make the person a- angry, alienate them, or what have you know, or make them think that you're being holier than now yeah. and make 
them feel bad about themselves, mm -hmm. but you just excuse yourself from the perspective of, I can't do whatever good you're trying to do for him, and then redirect them to someone that if they went to and spoke about that, would either like mm -hmm. correct them with like very clear truth, or who they'd be ashamed to say that in front of. So me redirecting them to your wife and saying, you know, you should go and speak to her about that, because she's probably the one that told him all his morals. The very thought of like, <laughs> going to your wife and saying that to her, Right. It makes me aware of how, like, how inappropriate what I'm saying because I have to picture myself going. To and like, I'm not going to do that. Exactly, right. and then that's the point. But let, let me expand this. When he's t saying talking about what doesn't concern us, doesn't just mean backbiting. It should be at the br most broadest possible level, right? It could be a host of things. <coughs> I just they just have no real benefit to my life, my hereafter, people I'm around. So backbiting is an outcome of this, right? And that's why the Prophet this is actually a terrifying hadith. There was a person who was killed in the battle of Uhud, and his mother started to say, like, he's going to go to Jannah, he's going to go to Jannah. And the Prophet said, yudrika, But you don't know, maybe he talked about things that didn't concern him. He's not saying that guy's going to hell, but he's saying, like, you don't know. But what we learn from it is that's a bad thing to be doing. Doesn't mean that guy did that. But he's like using it as a teachable moment. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So uh, one scholar said there's a way to like go about this. And that and you said something very profound. Backbiting is a bond. Like, yo, if I can slander someone with you, tight. <laughs> right? And there's always that friend that's like, yeah, what's up? Spill the tea. Let's spill the tea. <laughs> right? Spill the tea. You're gonna burn yourself when it lands on your clothes. And it's gonna stain you. Right? But he, he, he suggests that you should think about the following. Number one is, how is this thing going to impact my hereafter? Like, I like to be the front. That should be the front end of the question. Number two, would you be willing to go to someone else, exactly what you were saying, like the person's mom, their sister, your own parents, and have that same conversation? Probably not. So that tells us a lot about the moral compass of where we're coming from right now. He said, like, those are two ways you can pretty much gauge what you're getting involved in. The second is al-khawd fil-batil, and we'll stop here. Al-khawd fil-batil means to talk about things that are evil and haram, like, as a, a moment of bonding, goes back to bonding, like hanging out and being cool, getting attention. And the reason that's problematic is because someone's actually like making what's disliked and evil nice. So like, harmful terms about other races. Like, I shouldn't be sharing memes that have those. Things that are attacking how people look, like making fun of others, things that are making fun of the deen, right? That's a batil. What it means is the haram. Like I'm, I'm communicating the haram in a way that doesn't give it the feeling that's haram for jest, for laughing, whatever, for some kind of social agency. Normalizing. I'm normalizing it. 
That's why Allah said to the Prophet, Say the best things. Be careful. So we'll stop here. We're going to finish these next week and then we'll start talking about backbiting because it's like a really massive section dedicated to that. But the Sheikh, he says two points that I want to make and we'll stop. And this is very profound. He said, the biggest problem with these destructive qualities of the tongue is we like them. Like people like it. Like there's, there's something in the heart that like gets a sense of power, bonding, meaning comes out of like demonizing other people. So he said like you got to be aware of it. And the second thing, he said the best remedy for this is silence. Like that situation, like maybe just be like, maybe they get the idea. Like I don't, I don't play that, man. Like, what are you talking about right now? Um, I feel sometimes like a, as I get older, I wish there were moments in my life where I did tell people, like, what are you saying right now, man? You know, but again, it's easier said than done. But he said the ultimate remedy is just to be silent. There's like virtues in silence. Sometimes when you don't speak, some people think, oh, what are they thinking? Right, yeah. Because we're used to react. We're all ADHD, man. We're, all, we're used to like massive reactions in so many different ways. Um, and then we're in an age of, of really where everybody objects to everything, right? Which is good and bad, but like not everything, right? Yes, sir. But sometimes if you're in a group, your silence can make you complicit, no? Like yeah, so it depends on the context, yeah. right? But first and foremost, I don't have to speak. I'm in control of my life. I don't have to speak in a bad way. I can be responsible for myself. And then within the group context, maybe it's better for me to speak up or to dismiss myself, like, I got to dip or leave this chat room or whatever. Yeah. Any questions before we break away, inshallah? Yes, sir? Um, I have a question about you saying, like, if someone points out, like, earlier, points out, like, something that might be not, you know, not the best quality of you or maybe it might not be true or maybe... You know, just indicating like how to like come about it. I, I I haven't I haven't mastered that. I mean like I probably, I've always tried to like understand it since I was young. I just can't like grasp that fully because you, you there's a fine line between like like you said. There's always that fine line, and at the same time you want to be living in delusion. That's like that's like the least thing that you want to do. I'll give an example. Um, my trainer back in the days before I moved here. He told me, like, I was like, man, how did you get inspired to live this way? He's like, people used to make fun of me because I was fat. He's like, it hurt, but I was fat. Yeah. Like, I was, like, throwing down, like, large pizzas, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Going crazy in college and had no self-discipline. He's actually having heart populations of, like, 27, right? And then my wife is like, yo, I didn't marry three of you. <laughs> and then he was like, but then I heard somebody that I didn't like call me that. Oh, that's yeah. harmful. It's hurtful. It's not right. We shouldn't do it. He was like, that drove me to get better. You understand? I remember when I converted once, I was sitting, I was memorizing Quran. There was this Arab brother, and this is not all Arabs, don't get upset. And he was like, you know, I used to understand Arabic then. He's like, I don't think an American will ever speak Arabic. I was like, okay. Like, so he said it, I couldn't speak Arabic, but that was like that fire that pushed me. So that's what he's saying. When people are saying things that are honestly problematic in your life, even if they don't like you, 
take the time to benefit from that because it'll help you. And that way you turn also, you know, you turn the table against them as well, right? Because what you're saying doesn't bother me. I'm trying to use it as fuel to be better. If it's real, if it's really there, right? But if someone's trying to manipulate me or control me or say things that aren't there or have some kind of power over me, that's different. They're saying, if you're honest with yourself and you've recognized mistakes that you have in your life and you've been neglecting them and then you hear someone that doesn't like you talk about those things, it's like a reminder to you to get on it. That's what he means. That's probably also what they're doing too. So it's really nothing personal. It's probably what, what they project onto others is more what they're doing with it. What exactly. Broken people break people. So they may be projecting their own pain on people. God help us. That's why you gotta like know yourself. That's why the first thing he said is you gotta know who you are. Right. If I know who I am and I'm honest with myself, like yeah, you know what? I need to work on that, man. That's, that's, that's true. Even though I like this person. Um, that's something I need to work on. It's a good thing. Thank you. No, no problem. Barakallahu feekum wa jazakum Allah khairan wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Muhammad.